I tell you, I just love uh, testimonies where God is receiving the glory for just the great things he's doing in our life and uh, really for who he is. I tell you, God is, uh, is so worthy of, of all the praise and adoration that we could offer. I know last week uh, as we gathered here for Resurrection Sunday, we were singing about just how worthy he is for our worship. And so I, I'm just thankful that we have an opportunity to gather here on Sunday morning, just hear stories like this, to celebrate stories like this, of God just continuing to work miracles in our life each and every day. And um, I want to start off this morning, before we pray, uh, just asking you a couple of questions. The first question is this. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Amen? You love Jesus? Well, let me ask you the, the second question that I have for you. And the second question is this. How many of you trust Jesus? Amen? Trust Jesus. The reason I'm asking these questions this morning is because we're going to be looking at moving from trouble to triumph uh, today, and uh, I, I think the testimony that we just uh, saw in, in the way of video was a perfect illustration of how God takes uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in that aren't always pleasant, and he takes us to a place of victory, and so we're going to be looking at that today, but I think it's also very important that as we process uh, what God does when he takes an individual follower of Christ and he takes them from trouble to triumph, that, that we understand that it's important how we answer those two questions. It's real easy for us to, as, as followers of Christ, to say, I love Jesus, man. He's everything to me. To, to just praise him and, and give recognition to him and say, I love Jesus for what he's accomplished in my life. Uh, it's a little harder, I think, sometimes to say, I trust Jesus, especially when we're going through times that are very uncertain for us or times that are very difficult for us or times that are very, um, uh, very much uh, discouraging to us. And so as we find ourselves in these very difficult situations, we certainly don't want to remain there and we often find ourselves turning to God, but it's in those moments that we find it sometimes very difficult to trust God. But as we, as we look into God's Word this morning, as we uh, as we begin to try to answer what does it mean to move from trouble to triumph, as we, as we consider all that, I think it's very important that, we, that we're able to answer those questions in our heart. Uh, one is, do we love Jesus? And I think, you know, the resounding question for us as believers should be, why, yes, absolutely, we love Jesus. And, and we should be able to say, and I trust him. And so that, just kind of keep those questions and those answers in your mind as we dive into God's word this morning, as we continue to, to look at what his word teaches us about who he is and what he's capable of. And, and, uh, and, and I, I tell you, I believe God's gonna really uh, just encourage you today. I, I don't know how else to say it. I think God's gonna uh, show you how you can, you can move to a place of victory versus defeat. And I, and it, I think it's sad. I think it's really sad that so many believers find themselves living day by day in a place of despair versus a place of victory, knowing all that we know about Jesus and knowing what Jesus is capable of in our life. We should never have to do that. And so I want to encourage you today. I, I know God's word is going to encourage you today as we, as we dive in and we look at this text that we're going to be looking at today. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the message uh, together. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, thank you for your presence in this place. Uh, God, thank you for your presence in our life, in our hearts. God, we, we gather here today, many of us, 
as people who can give testimony to your greatness, to your goodness. We were just singing a few moments ago, God, you are so good. And Father, we believe that. We know that to be true. And Father, there are many of us here today that can testify that, Lord, in times of trouble, in times of trial, in times of difficulty and suffering and pain, God, you have this remarkable way of moving us from that place to a place of victory, a place of triumph. And God, we, we find that when we rely on you, when we turn to you, when we trust in you, believing you. Because Father, it's possible, and we know this, that even in a place of difficulty and pain and suffering, we can still be filled with your presence and find joy in that. And so, Father, I pray that today as we look into your word, as we, as we talk about this very important issue that, that is so common today in our world, so many believers living in a place of discouragement. Father, that you would help us to see that you are near, that you are close, that you love us deeply, and that, God, you desire to draw men and women unto yourself that we would not only be saved by your power and your presence, be sanctified by the Spirit, but also, God, to be encouraged to walk through this life with strength and power and courage. God, we thank you for your presence now as we look into your word, as we, as we talk about this together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just came off of a, a very powerful weekend. Uh, we, we just celebrated Resurrection Weekend together last week. It was a busy week for, for a lot of us here today. And, uh, and, and, and I just I tell you, I love celebrating Resurrection Weekend. I love celebrating Easter together with, with my faith family because I believe that the resurrection story is such a story of power. It's such a story of grace. It's such a story of uh, of God's glory. It's, it's, it's so worthy of thinking about and considering and meditating on and just pondering on the, the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I love the resurrection story. And uh, we, we talked about how last week, how through the resurrection, Jesus changes everything. How many of you believe that with me this morning, that Jesus changes everything? I see Joshua's wearing the shirt today. Jesus changes everything, brother. And so it's, it's so powerful to think about that, to think about the reality that, that through his resurrection, he not only exhibited to the world his power and his grace and his love for us, but he, he also uh, died on the cross, went to the grave, was raised from the grave, was resurrected from the grave, that not only he would have resurrection, but in his resurrection, we too might be resurrected that we too might live eternally, no longer worrying about this eternal separation from God, but knowing that through Christ Jesus, we can be saved and we can be sanctified and ultimately we can be glorified and spend an eternity in the holy presence of God. And so it's such a, it's such a powerful story. And uh, just thinking about us being resurrected from the dead is just something that is truly Encouraging. In fact, we were singing about it last week a lot uh, in several of the songs we were singing about this 
this truth of our own resurrection. Uh, in one of the songs that we sang last week by Elevation Church called Resurrecting, the lyrics go something like this. They, it says, by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And in your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And the chorus goes like this. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our king. What a powerful song we sang last week. Just being reminded of this truth that through the resurrection of Christ, God wants to change everything about us. And what a powerful thought it is to know that he cares enough for us that he would accomplish that in our life. And so with all of that being said, with everything that happens through salvation and sanctification and all these things, then why would it be that Christian, any Christian, would ever live in a place where we see days, if not weeks or months or years, uh, become places of discouragement to us, places of despair? Why wouldn't we be able to celebrate day by day the, the beauty of Jesus knowing us and loving us and walking with us and celebrate the beauty of, uh, of the truth of God's word, which declares to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Why would it ever be that we would ever find ourselves in a place of despair? But yet it happens all the time. And so this morning, I, I hope that as we think about this, uh, that we would, we would begin to see that, that what Jesus wants to accomplish in our life is to move us from a place of trouble to a place of triumph. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today. You know, the reality of trials are that they're very difficult, or they wouldn't be called trials, I guess, right? They'd be called blessings, the reality is we face suffering all the time as believers in, in Christ, and yet the Word teaches us that we can just keep our eyes and, and our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus, and, and we can still live a blessed life despite our circumstances. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we find this challenge to us as believers. The writer of Hebrews, he says, let us run with endurance the race. And so I love this. He's, he's using the metaphor of a race for life. But he says here, let us run with endurance. If you've ever run an endurance race or an endurance type of race, you realize that there is a lot of pain. There's a lot of endurance. There's a lot of uh, long suffering that goes into running great distance. Today, I can get from about the front door to the mailbox, for instance. That's a that's a race of endurance before I'm completely give out anymore. But used to be I could run a little bit further than that. But any long-distance race. And so here we see the writer of Hebrews saying, let us run the race of endurance. And so there's this, this idea right off the bat that, that if we're going to run this race of endurance, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be something that is challenging to us or it wouldn't be a race of endurance. Endurance, And then he continues on and he says this, looking to Jesus, the founder, some translations say the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so Jesus Christ being the author of our faith, the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith is, is someone that we can truly look to as we live out our life 
in pursuit of everything that Christ has laid before us, but doing so knowing that we can, despite the circumstances that we face, we can run this race because of who Jesus is. Amen? So the reality is we're sitting here today and we immediately begin to think about the struggles that we're maybe involved in now, the uncertainty of life that we face, the, the, the pains that life has brought our way that we are constantly dealing with. And, and I believe that this morning as we dive into God's word that, that maybe there's a word of encouragement for some of us here that are in that place. I pray that today will be the last day that you find yourself in that place. But let's look together at James chapter one. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're gonna be diving into God's word here this morning, James chapter one. We're gonna look at verses one through six together. And uh, I think it's interesting, uh, when you look at the book of James, you, you begin to see right away, and he, he reveals this to us as we're gonna see, but he, he lets us know who he's writing this letter to. And he's writing to uh, literally Jewish Christians who have been scattered all over the, the nations. And so Christians have gone out, so they're the dispersed nation. They're the, the people that have been you know, scattered abroad. But the reality is that, that we need to understand here as we get ready to read this is why it is that they were scattered. They're not just you know, sort of scattered with the wind. It's not that they were you know, decided that it was greener pastures on the other side of the river, and so they packed up and moved away. No, they're being driven away from their homes. They've been persecuted because of their new faith in Christ Jesus. And so James is writing to them to help them understand that despite the trouble that they're going through, these hard times that they're having to deal with, that there should be encouragement in just knowing who Jesus is and the reality that he is there for them. And so he's writing to these, and, uh, and, and we see this text that we're gonna be looking at today. So read this with me, if you will. James chapter one starting with verse one and going through verse six. Starts off, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so that's about the gist of his uh, greetings part of his letter. And then immediately, immediately after that very short greeting that he's written, James writes these words. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so like I said, James is writing to a group of people who has been persecuted for their faith. You know, most of us here today that has gone through any sort of trial in our life, we can, we can, we can think about that trial. We usually, in, in having conversations about trials, we go to maybe the most difficult thing that we faced or maybe the, the top three difficult things that we've ever faced, and we start thinking about that. But I want you to, just for a moment, to place yourself in the position 
of these that have been persecuted for their faith and driven away from their homes and, and are, are living their life. And I, I want you to just think about what that life might look like if we were, if we were considering uh, this audience that James is writing to, these people whose lives have been disrupted, these people whose lives have, have, have taken a terrible turn for the worse, families that have been split apart, people that have died for their faith. Just this week, I went to see the movie, Paul. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a pretty decent movie. Moves kind of slow, but it's, it's, it's very good, I think, as, as far as just giving a sort of a historical account of what, of what Paul is, Paul's life was like. But, but more important than that, I think, for me, what was so gripping about the movie is how Christians were living their life during Nero's reign, the emperor of Rome. It, it takes place, the movie pretty much takes place right there in Rome, and, and what's amazing is about Nero is he was, during this time of his life, he was persecuting Christians severely. In fact, there's, there's accounts given where he would literally have them impaled with a spear and, and hung on the, on the side of the streets and set on fire just to light the streets of Rome. That's how bad he hated Christians. But when Jesus came into the life of 12 disciples who begin to preach the gospel and the gospel begin to impact lives and others begin to give their life to Christ. People did not like what they saw and the Christians of Jesus' time begin to be persecuted beyond anything that you and I could probably compare our lives to. And so James is writing this letter to them and as he's writing this letter, he, he's, he's helping us to understand what their lives might have been like. But as I read this, I, I think to myself, there's no reason why we should be surprised that, our, uh, that, that the things that James is trying to address with us shouldn't encourage us as, as, as much as it would have them as well. In the same way, trouble for us is usually not that far away, is it? Oftentimes, we, we encounter trouble uh, and I believe, you know, partly because we just live in the midst of a fallen and sinful society. I mean, that's the world in which we live. And it just seems that trouble is always lurking around the corner. And no matter how we live our life and no matter how we prepare for life, it just seems like trouble, those things that are usually not expected, just enter into our life. And we have to deal with those things in our life. It's never easy. Trials are never easy. Suffering is never easy. But the Word of God gives us what we need to understand how we can push through and persevere in the midst of these hard times. And so this is what we see James begin to do as he's writing this letter. I love what King David once said, uh, talking about trouble being near, because I think it's so much a reality in our world today. In Psalm twenty-two, eleven. David prays this to God. He's praying to God, and he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. And so what David says in his prayer to God, he says, God, listen, I know that trouble is always around the corner. I know that, that you know I'm going to encounter things as I live out my life, and as I do that, I pray that you would always be near. And then he adds this little 
peace to the end, he says, because no one is to help. And I thought about that and, and why he might have said that. And I, I began to think that when we find ourselves in despair, when we find ourselves discouraged at life, when we find ourselves maybe even uh, touching on depression in our life, oftentimes in those moments of our life, those moments when we are, we are truly at the, at the bottom uh, of the pit, we, we oftentimes feel an overwhelming sense of loneliness. We feel as our friends maybe don't care for us. They, they're not doing anything to contribute to our joy. And so we maybe turn to our friends and we say, where are they at when I need them most or, or, or whatever. But what David does is he prays and he says, I know, I recognize trouble is always close by, but the reality is, God, you're always near. And so he prays this prayer, just remain near to me so that when I feel this way, God, I can be encouraged by your presence. I love what uh, Victor Frank once said. He was a Holocaust survivor. He was, uh, he was committed to one of the concentration camps uh, during Hitler's uh, war. And he wrote a book called Man Searching for Meaning. And in this book, he was writing of his, his experience uh, as a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote these words. He says, loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect on man. When a man no longer possesses a motive for living, no future to look toward, he curls up in a corner and dies. Any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. And so he writes these words saying that if you're ever going to encourage someone who's at the bottom of the barrel, if you're ever going to encourage someone to try to restore their soul when they're wrestling with despair, you better be able to point them to something that is good news for the future. And this is what he's saying. And, and I am so thankful that today that as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, that we don't have to look to something that is maybe a goal, but we can look to the one whom we have a hope in, and his name is Jesus. Amen? That we can look to Jesus and we can point to Jesus and say to those who are at the bottom of their life, that those who are living in despair, say to them, there is someone who can help, and his name is Jesus. And so I think that's the point of what James is trying to communicate here in this text. And so uh, I want us to, to look at a few things that, that James is revealing to us. James is basically saying this. He's saying, if your faith is genuine, then it must also show in your troubles. I, what I mean by that is this, and I think this is what James is, is trying to communicate, at least in verse 2 here, is he, he's basically saying this. It's real easy for us to give praises and adorations to God when things are going well, right? Boy, I am so blessed. God is good. I love him so much. We can say that when times are good, but it's harder for us to say that when we're in times of trouble, isn't it? When we're going through those times of trouble, we're, we're, we're saying things like, well, where's God in my life? And we're, we're, we're just sort of, I, I'm angry with God. And we find ourselves not praising him. But what I believe James is going to reveal to us is that uh, if we're going to have victories in Christ, if we're going to do more than just sing about victories in Christ, if we're going to truly believe that we are victorious in Christ, then it should show in those moments of trouble just as much as it should in those times of good. And so this is where uh, James starts us off here. The first thing that he points out to us is that victory in Christ will show up in a joyful attitude. 
And let me just say this, despite the circumstance, okay, despite the circumstance, if it's good times, there should be joyful attitude. If it's bad times, guess what? For the believer, because we are new in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation made clean because we have a Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We have a Savior who loves us deeply. There are so many things that we can still be thankful for even in the midst of the hardest times of our life. We can because he has enabled us to be able to do that. We have within us the Holy Spirit of God. James says here in verse two, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various uh, or trials of various kinds. I used to read this and I used to think, how? I mean, I've been through some very difficult times in my life. I've been through some times in my life that lasted for years. Uh, fortunately today, and I, and, and I hope this remains the way it is, I mean, there are some times where those bad times come a day at a time, maybe a week, lasting a week. But in those moments, I feel like there, I, I better understand this verse and what James is trying to say here is that despite whatever it is that I'm going through, the reality is Jesus is greater. Amen. And that's what James is saying. He said, we can count it a joy, even in the deepest of despair, we can still be filled with joy because Jesus is worthy of our joy, amen? And so we see him saying this to us and we begin to understand this. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've been through those times, those moments in my life where there was no joy, but I had to ask myself, if my faith in God is only good when I'm doing well, then do I really have victory in Christ? Can I really celebrate victory in Christ? We can stand here and we can sing songs about being victorious in Christ, but how does that reveal in our life that we are living? Are we living our life in such a way that people see victory in Christ when the troubles come? And so this is what Paul is trying to, I mean, excuse me, uh, James is trying to communicate to us. I love what John Maxwell says, a little one-liner for you to take home today. He says, you can't be a smart cookie with a crummy attitude. <laughs> I love that. You can't be a smart cookie with a crummy attitude. And so I, I tell you, with so much negativity that we see in our world today and so much uh, just people venting, and I, it, it's just amazing to me what, uh, what I see some Christians uh, posting. And I, I think, where's your joy? Where's your joy these days? Because if you have Christ, I mean, man, there should be, you should be different than what I see here. And so, you know, I look at this and I just think about what the Word of God is teaching us today. Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet the different trials of various kinds. The second thing that James points out to us is this, is that victory in Christ requires an understanding mind. That victory in Christ requires an understanding mind. How was it that Jesus said we are to love God? You remember? When Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so there's no doubt a, 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 a feeling that comes from within our love for God. No doubt that our experience in loving God should be one that is profound and real, and, and we experience that, but intellectually, we should also be able to love God. And the only way we can do that is if we know God intellectually. And the only way we can know God intellectually is if we're spending time in God's Word studying about who God is. And it's in those truths and those promises of God's Word that it teaches us that we're able to stand fast in the midst of, 
uh, of the most troubling times if we know God intellectually. And this is what James is going to reveal to us here in verse 3. He says this. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This little phrase, underline it in your Bible, for you know. And so he lays out there that intellectually we should not only believe with our heart and our soul, but we should know in our minds that the, uh, the, the promises of God are real. The promises of God are given to us. The, the promises and the truth of God's word is something that we can stand on. Truths like, I am secure in my salvation. How many of you are thankful that you're secure in your salvation, that, that nothing, nothing can snatch you out of the Savior's hand? I'm secure in my salvation. How many of you are so thankful for the reality that he will never leave us nor forsake us? That's always a good one to, to turn to. These are promises of God's word. These are promises and truths that we need to understand. And we need to understand also that God will never give us more than we can bear. And I know some of you have heard that before and you're like, oh, really? He's right at the cuspus of me falling apart, right? We've all been there before where it's like, well, if he doesn't give me any more than I can bear, I hope he's at a stopping point, right? We've been there. We've, we've felt the weight of the suffering and the weight of the trials that we've been pressed into and we're having to push through. We felt that real weight, but there's such a good promise to know that we're unbreakable when it comes to Christ because he's never going to give us more that truly breaks us. And so, here we, we see this in the scripture as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. How many of you are thankful that God is faithful? Amen? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you will, might be able to endure it. And so we see these truths, and we understand them to be truths and promises of God. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. If we're gonna understand God's word, if we're going to understand with our mind the things of God and, and who God is, if we're going to understand him intellectually, then we must be in God's word. We can't, we can't know God without going and spending time in his word. It's not just about prayer. It's about time in God's word that we may know God more. Charles Spurgeon said this once. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. How about that one? A Bible that falls apart, is falling apart, usually belongs to someone who isn't. Why is that? Because they know the truth of God's word. They know the promises that God has given them. And they believe them. They believe them. Number three, the victory in Christ may be revealed by a surrendered life. A vi the victory in Christ will be revealed by a surrendered life. In verse four, here's what James says. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I, I love this one little word that we see here. And this is the one word in this verse that I want you to grab onto for just a moment. It, it says here in verse four, let steadfastness have its full effect. The little word I want you to zoom in on is let. In other words, it's like let go or let God. There's a catchy little phrase that, that, uh, that was circular, circular, circulating around a couple of years ago is let go and let God. You ever heard that phrase? Let go and let God. A lot of truth in that. 
when we're going through the trials that we're dealing with. And we, for some reason, have convinced ourselves that we can control those circumstances, right? That somehow we can, we can fix this, and we find ourselves not being able to fix it, and yet we, we find ourselves having to deal with it. One of the things that we can rest in is let go and let God. And here James says this. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect. He says, when you stand firm in your faith, allow that stance in standing firm to have its full effect, what? To help us be able to endure to the end. And so here is another truth that he gives us, uh, this, this understanding that we must offer to Jesus a surrendered life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not my life. I have been crucified with Christ. Amen? And so let us surrender that life to God. Let us not pretend that we can control all the circumstances in our life, that so much of it is not dependent on us at all, but that what God wants us to do is let go and let him. And so the last thing I want to give you here this morning is this. We've looked at all these different things that, that James is revealing to us, but in in verse 5, we see something else. Here, here's what we see. We see victory in Christ requires having a believing heart. Victory in Christ requires having a believing heart. Verse 5, we see this passage as well. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. You know, one of the things that we begin to understand real quickly, I mean, at the beginning of our salvation, even, is how important faith is in our life. We find at, a, at an early part of our Christianity that faith is, is, is required, actually, of salvation, right? Uh, the, the scriptures teach us that we have been saved by grace, meaning it's not in our hands, it's in God's hands, and we don't deserve it. God gives it to us as a free gift. But we have been saved by grace through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And so faith becomes that attachment to our life that is the very core of everything that we are. I mean, faith is everything to us. It, it's the core of our Christianity. And we begin to see, we begin to see that by faith, we either believe that we have victory in Christ or we don't believe that we have victory in Christ. And so if we're living our life victoriously, not living a life of defeat, then it's pretty obvious that we believe in, in Christ, and we trust in Christ. That's why I asked the question at the beginning of this message, do you love Jesus? Yes, yes, we do. Do you trust Jesus? Yes, yes, we do. You know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, we love him. Uh, kinda, we trust him, right? And so, but, but you, you can't straddle the fence like that. You have to come to a place where you either believe it or you don't. Do you believe that God is capable of creating the heavens and the earth? If he is, then why couldn't he fix your life, right? I mean, as small as we are on this universe, why couldn't the power of God fix the things in your life? Or to help you get through the things that you're having to deal with on a day-by-day -day basis in this thing called life. Life does not always feel good, but Jesus feels excellent, right? He feels excellent. And so here we see where, where, where James begins to reveal to us, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Uh, this morning, I want to close with one final passage from Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. You might want to go ahead and flip there. We'll look at that real quickly, and then I'm done. But I love Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Many people would call Hebrews chapter 11 the faith chapter in the Scripture because it deals with so much about faith. And I want to encourage you to go home uh, today or tonight or whenever and, and, and to look up Hebrews chapter 11. Just read through that whole chapter of God's Word because It teaches us so much about faith, but it also gives us testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of people who had tremendous faith and was encouraged uh, by the presence of God in their life and who were victorious in Christ Jesus. But but here we see in Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 1, we see the, the definition of what faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. I love this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so it tells us, it defines for us what exactly faith really is. And faith is the, is the very heart of our belief. Faith is the very essence of what we believe. Do you believe in victory in Christ Jesus or not? Faith becomes such an instrumental part of our believing. And so here we see, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then we read these words, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he died. Though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5, by faith, was Enoch taken up where he should not see death. And he was found, not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. I really want you to see this last verse here that we're looking at. Verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seeks him. What is the reward of being a person of faith who seeks after God? The reward is peace. The reward is joy. The reward is certainty. The reward is victory. Victory. Believing and trusting in God. the very core of our victory itself. And so this morning, are you here today wanting victory in your life? I know this because I talked to so many of you that there are some here today that are walking through challenges that are enough to just bring you down. I know that there are some of you here today that are going through some of the greatest moments of what of suffering that you've 
never imagined yourself having to deal with in this thing called life. Life is never easy. It's not even promised to be easy. For any of us. But the victory that we have in Christ is a reward that is worth grabbing onto. Worth holding onto. Worth enduring through things because of the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. How many of us are here today and we want to move away from troubles and move into a place of triumph? All of us. All of us. Isn't it about time that we moved away from just singing about victories in Christ and started believing in the victory that we have in Christ? Isn't it about time that we begin to trust Him and surrender to Him our lives? Knowing that when that happens, we will find the peace that we're looking for, the fulfillment that we're looking for, the joy that we're looking for. Remember this verse? That through God we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's an oldie but goldie, isn't it? Think about that for just a moment. The peace that surpasses our own understanding. That's what Jesus is offering to us this morning. A peace that goes beyond us even being able to process it. What that's pointing to is this reality that no matter where I'm at in life, no matter how troubling life might be, I have peace and I don't understand it because I should be in misery. It's time we start trusting God with our lives, surrendering our life to Him, walking with Him, and finding our joy in Him if we want to be victorious in Christ Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And maybe this morning for you, your greatest act of worship is to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. I'll be down front. Gabe's over here. Our pastors, Ethan's here. Different ones of us are here. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to come and spend some time in prayer, grab a friend that you know, that you came in with. But there's no reason for any of us to walk out of this room today in despair. Not when Jesus is in the room. And he will never leave you. Or forsake you.